All right. Good morning. Are you glad today that his love does not run out on you? I was sitting there listening and, you know, songs, David shares songs with me before we share them with you guys. And uh, he sang that one and I said, well, that's a good song, but it hadn't grown on me. It's growing. The fact that God loves me no matter what. I, I love Romans 8 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that soak in. If you're in Christ today, if you're a Christ follower, there is no condemnation. The one who could condemn you chooses not to. That's powerful. If you're in Christ. If you're in Christ. How powerful is that? That's something religion can't do and good words can't do. And you can't get from your job or your position or your money. That only comes from your Heavenly Father. And that's pretty cool. Amen? Well, I bet you could guess that we're in a series called The Family Game. And we're winding it down. Next week is the last week. And by the way, big news. Now listen. On the welcome counter is a big old fishbowl with a stack of my old business cards. You can always find a use for old business cards. If you'll write your name on the back of that and drop it in the tank next week at the end of the service, we're going to give away all these games that we have up here. And like I said, there's hot competition for the risk game. I know that. All right? So if you'd like to have your name in the pot, uh, maybe take a, home, a game home next week, you'd be sure and do that. We talked about the game of life. Talking about how life, God calls us to the abundant life. Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have abundant life. And then we talked about risk. And that was on relationships. And we talked about mutual submission and how that looks like and plays out really in the whole family. That particular day, we talked about husband and wife relationships. And then, Brother Jeremy blessed us last week with, with Uno and the single heart. And boy, we were just had our socks blessed off um, last week as God spoke through him in a very, very tremendous way. Amen? Really was. Really was. And then, today, we're going to look at a game called Shoots and Ladders. Now, I... I wonder, this thing's been around forever, and I don't know if I've ever played it or not, if i played it with my kids or grandkids. I don't know, but I do know this. I had to look up on the Internet and see what it was like. And it turns out it's really a cool game. Now, it originated in India, okay, and originally it was called, in fact, if you Google it on the Internet, you're not going to find very much about shoots and ladders. You're going to find snakes and ladders, Okay, snakes and ladders. And, and you'll find a whole lot more about that than you do shoots and ladders. I think we kind of Americanized it a long time ago and turned it into shoots and ladders. But here's the cool part. It really, it's for young kids and, and mainly about young kids. And the ladders are the good choices that we make in life. And you climb the ladder. And the shoots or the snakes are the vices or the bad choices we make. And those take you down. And so as you play the game, it teaches you about making good choices, climbing up, and vices that will take you down. And so that's so true and so appropriate for the ups and downs in parenting as we talk about relationships in the family between children and parents. And it's very important, students, children, and also parents, that we make really good choices in the area of relationships in family. So I'm looking forward to teaching today and, and hopefully some stuff will really, really be able to take home and apply to our lives. So take your Bibles, please. And as a sermon sheet in your bulletin, by the way, if you get one of those, but uh, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now, let me go back to something I just said to kind of refresh our memories because I'm going to tell you the most damaging word in the Bible, okay, concerning us and living out our faith. We taught in, in Ephesians 5.21, Paul wrote these words. Submitting to one another 
All right? Out of reverence to Christ. And we talked about that day that that applies. That's not written to wives. It's not written to husbands. It's not written to children. It's not written to strangers. It's written to all of us. Every one of us who are believers today in Jesus Christ, that pertains to us. And that simply means we are to defer. We're to go to the back of line. And we talked about that day, how Christ ultimately did that. When Jesus came and died on a Roman cross, something very similar to this, when he died on that cross, he basically put himself behind all of us. Everything he endured on the cross was about we having a relationship with his father. It it was about um, him experiencing the wrath of God so we did not have to. It's about him dying so that we might live. It's the ultimate picture of submission. But then we know that plays out. You know, the, the wives are, are commanded to respect their husbands, to submit to the husbands in respect. And then the husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And as we're going to see today, children are commanded to really do two things, to obey and honor their parents. Now, here's that damaging word. What I see as a pastor in my own life from personal experience, I see it played out, the word if. It goes like this. I will respect my husband if he loves me. I will love my wife if she respects me. I will obey and honor my parents if my dad would just back off. Those are the three examples we have. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 today, and what we looked about the last couple of weeks, you don't see that if word. In fact, we do, it, we do it all through the Bible. God, I will do this if. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't lay down any conditions. I simply said, do these things. And he did not give us a commission. said, you are to respect your husband if he loves you. That's not there. I, I, will, I will love my wife if she'll just show me a little respect. It's not there. I, I'll obey my dad and mom if. It's not there. In fact, each time it says this, because of Christ, because of Christ. When you show respect to your husband, ladies, you're doing it because of Christ. When you love your wife, guys, you're doing it because of Christ. And students, children, when you obey your mom and dad, we're going to see it today, it's because of Christ. So if we could learn to eliminate that if word pertaining to Scripture, if we could uh, remove that if word, it would be a radical change and our walk with Jesus Christ. It would eliminate a lot of the justification and rationalization that we have the weaknesses in our lives. So here's what we start out with. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1, we have the word this. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord or as in the Lord because this is right. Now, let me give you a really cool deal. You've got to get this. If we could step back 2,000 years ago, culture was totally different. It's like this. Ladies, you were property. Your husband could simply divorce you if you were a Jewish person. You simply looked at your wife and said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. It could be over burnt toast. It because you gained a little weight, because you weren't as pretty, or he just got tired of you and simply looked, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you were out. That was the way it was back in those days. You were really considered a piece of property. Children, students... You guys didn't exist. I mean, the old adage from the South also, don't speak unless you're spoken to. It went bigger than that. Along comes Jesus. And I'm telling you, every time Jesus, Christianity flourishes in society, women fare better and children fare better. He comes along and brings women up to a status equal with men. 
equal with men. It's crazy. All of a sudden, in fact, I mean, a, a Jewish man would say, lover? Like, like I love my, my donkey? Like I love my sheep? He said, no, 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 no. As Christ loved the church. Wow. And, and children, do you understand the significance of this, this verse? Do you understand? Now, I'm going to say children and, and students, please don't take offense if I call you a child. I mean student, but sometimes it's going to get interchanged. Do you understand that the Apostle Paul wrote in, in 2,000 years ago a verse to you? Now, again, society would say, write a verse for children. They don't even exist. I mean, they have no rights. All they do is, is when they reach a certain age and they become a man, then we'll consider them. But no. And Paul, 2,100 years ago, writes a verse to you. You know why? Because God loves students, children. God loves men. And God loves women. So, so he goes and he says, children, here it is. It's an action. Obey your parents as you would for the Lord. Now, the key is this. Okay? The command is you are to obey. You are to follow your parents' lead. Okay? The key thing I want you to... I mean, you know what obey is. Come on. I don't need to spend 20 minutes of my time today, your time, telling you how, what it means to obey. You heard it up here. You know, clean your room. Doing what they say. These different things. You know, those are all cool and that's right. So you don't need a lecture today on obey, but I want you to grab to the Lord. Now listen. We, we've read a book. We're reading a book. I've read part of a book on the millennials. And the millennials are very relationship built. And I don't, I just made up a word. They are, relationships are real big to this people born between 1980 and the year 2000. It's very big for them. But also, is the ones that claim to be Christians, no, no, no. The ones who claim to be evangelical Christians, I mean, 65% of millennials say they're Christian, but that can mean like, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. Like 6%, 7% truly are evangelical Christians. But they, I'm sorry guys, listen, folks who love tradition, millennials are, do not want stale religion. They want to be a part of a church that is changing their world. They want to be a part of a mission that changes the world. These, these evangelical Christians are saying, we want to make a difference in our world. So I'm asking you students who have just come out of Centrifuge, okay, who are some of you are heading to Super Summer, Mature and live out your faith. I'm challenging you today, if you're old enough to understand what I'm talking about, of obeying your parents in the Lord, I'm asking you to live your faith out. Not because, listen, come on, who has perfect parents? I mean, I don't know any, okay? I mean, like what Andy Stanley said one time, he said, you think your parents haven't had original thoughts since 1980, okay? But I'm telling you, the Bible says, because of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christ follower, because of Him... Obey your parents. I'm asking you to toughen up your faith. I'm asking you because of what the Bible says. Not because you may think your students, your parents are worthy. Not because you think they're cool. Not because they're your friend. But because God's Word says, obey your parents. And do it out of reverence or respect to God. That's what the Word of God says. Now, what if? What if they ask you to do something like really wrong? Well, that's where you apply the book of Acts, where, where you know, the Sanhedrin said, don't you talk about Jesus anymore. Now, I think it was Peter who said, hey, you figure out if we're supposed to obey man or God, we're going to obey God. So, of course, if they ask you something like immoral or illegal or something like that, dude, no, no, you obey God. But in the big, broad principles of life, 
You are to obey your parents. No, they are not perfect. Just like the wives are to submit their husbands and respect them, they're not perfect. Husbands, just like your wife is not perfect, but you're supposed to love them. Kids, the way you show this submission, this mutual submission, is by obeying your parents. No, they're not perfect. Now, now how does this play out in Jesus? How, you know, how, does this, how does this work out? I put a scripture, um, Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 40, from the Holman Christian Standard on your sermon sheet. Here's what it says. Talking about um, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. When they had completed everything, now Jesus is like weeks old. According to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Okay, you get in the picture there. Come home from the hospital, a few weeks old, going back to Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong. Okay, that's kind of what happens. You eat, you're going to grow up. Okay, that's, that's kind of natural part of life. But listen to what it says. Filled with wisdom and God's grace was on him. We don't know a whole lot about when Jesus was born and what it was like to be a two-year-old or a three-year-old. But we have this. He did grow up and he grew up in wisdom. Now, the parents that were today, we dedicated their children. That's what I'm talking about. You know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the reverence of God. So what you need to go home and do, parents, is that we set an environment up where God is reverenced in your home. That when God is mentioned, it's not a curse word. It's a word of praise. You set that environment up, okay? And the, ch- the children will pick that up and grow in wisdom or reverence for God. And the cool part is, God's grace was on him. The same grace that we experience. Now, not salvation grace. Living grace. Grace to do what we ordinarily could not do. That's really cool. So we have Jesus from the time he was born until he's like 11 years old. That's all we know about him. That's all we know. He grew up, he reverenced God, and God's grace was upon him. That's what we know. But then at age 12, we see another picture. Now, it kind of goes like this. Every time of the Passover, you know, Mary and Joseph would load up Jesus and take him to Jerusalem. And they would do like, you know, the, the Passover thing. And I think because he was 12, okay, they kind of gave him the, okay, son, um, you're, we're going to let you run around, do, do your thing, okay? Um, but, you know, be safe, make good choices, those kind of things. Yes, yes, mom, yes, dad. And so, basically, Jesus is put on his own. Well, it came time eventually for them to go home, okay? So, they packed up. Now, now don't think this is like neglect on Mary and Joseph's part. Because, again, the extended family was large and the friendships were strong. And so, they're traveling and they just assume... That Jesus is one of the family, with one of the other family members or one of the other friends. Well, they travel for a whole day. I mean, I left my kid at church one time. It wasn't for a day, but I did leave my kid at church one time. Okay? And uh, so the next day they go, Mary, or Joseph says, where's Jesus? And they realized that he wasn't with them. So they go back to Jerusalem and they hunt for three days looking for Jesus. And they finally find him, and they find him in the temple, and he's teaching the teachers. Pretty cool, huh? Remember, he grew up in reverence of God. God's grace was upon him. He grew up. Now, let me read the scripture to you. When his parents saw him, this is 248. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I mean, they're saying, hunt, son, we're worried to death. Where have you been? And then Jesus says this. Didn't you know 
that I had to be in my father's house. Now, that's not a slam. I mean, they've watched Jesus grow up. Mary particularly had an insight that others didn't have. But, but he's just saying, you know, where else would I be? I, I love my father and I want to be in his house. How cool is that? Okay? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Then he, now listen, listen, listen. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and growth and in favor with God and people. Now, most students, come on now students, stay with me. By the time you're like, you know, from the time you're like 12, all of a sudden you start thinking, I know everything. Okay, come on, come on, come on. And, and you come to the realization that your parents know nothing. And it gets worse. It gets worse. 14, 15, 16, you become more and more and more full of knowledge and your parents become dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. That's how it works. And by the way, parents don't lose hope. When they get about 25, they wise up. I've lived long enough to see it, and it is sweet, baby. It is sweet. Dad, you, you knew more than we thought you knew. I, I know, I know, I know. It's really cool. It's really cool. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get. Okay? He was 12. He was perfect. And his parents didn't understand him. So don't get frustrated when your parents don't understand you. But notice the example of Jesus. What did he do? He went home with them, and what did he do? He was obedient. Say, he obeyed. He obeyed. You bet. And again, believe me, if there probably ever was a misunderstood child, maybe not by Mary, but by some of the others in the family, it probably was Jesus. So the example of Jesus is, is that they should obey. And I hope, listen guys, some of you again just came out of Centrifuge, you're going to Super Summer, okay? I really want to encourage you. Will you follow Jesus to 51? I, I know. Will you follow Jesus to 51? Will you follow your parents and obey them? Would you exercise faith enough in Jesus Christ? Would you say, I'm going to live out this faith that I claim by obeying the word of God? I hope that you will. So, so that's how an action looks. But then Paul continues in verse number 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now he just nails down the truth we see in six one. He nails it down another way. He says, now remember, now this is cool. One of the big ten is, number five, is obey your mom and your dad. And so cool. The big ten, by the way, that we expect the world to obey was given to a covenant people. It wasn't given to the world. It was given to the people of God. And number five of the people of God, and if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a people of God, is to obey your mom and your dad. And, and, that, and there's a reason that it may go well with you, that you may have a long life. You know, I love the theology according to Bill Cosby. I mean, the early days of, of, of his show, The Cosby Show, was just incredible. You know, I loved it. Now, I, think, I think both these involved Theo. But <laughs> one, one, the two girls had gotten in trouble, um, Rudy and, and Vanessa. And, and they're standing there like this, you know, they're in trouble. He says, come here. And they stand there and he goes, come here. You parents ever experienced that? You, you give your kids something to do and they go, what? What? But anyway, so I think Theo was messed up. Okay? And, and so, so Bill Cosby says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Remember that? I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Well, that's where, again, obey your mom and dad, you'll have a long life. Okay? Then we go back in these days, I told David, back in these days, 
you made dad mad, he was going to rock and kill you. You know, that's the way it was. You know, stone, stone the kids. You know, aren't you glad we kind of got out of the, we're not in the law anymore? We kind of outgrew that with grace. Amen. All right. So, so that was one of my favorite moments. Okay. And then the other one. He, he, he has a party. Okay. His mom and dad's out of town and they wrecked the house. And they did the best they can to put it back together. But, but Bill, I think, was put his, feet on the, put his feet on the coffee table and the coffee table collapses. And they look at each other and go, something's going on here. So Theo comes in, hi, Mom, hi, Dad. And they find out about it, you know, and they, they just, oof, they're mad. They're just so mad. And finally Theo goes, I thought about running away. And Bill goes, that's a good idea. He stood up. And he goes, let's go. He goes, where are we going? And Bill goes, away. <laughs> and that, that's the episode when he tried to take him to the Army, and the Army wouldn't take him. You know, he said there's a long lot of parents trying to get their, their sons and daughters to the Army. And the recruiter came out and said, we don't want your sons and daughters. Take them back home. You know, it may go well with you. Listen, I know, listen, your parents, okay, they're not perfect and they don't know everything, but they have more life experience than you. It will go well with you. You're going to learn some things from your mom and dad are going to help you in life. And, you know, it's not a promise. It's a, it's a general promise, if that, that you have a long life. Now, it's not your fault, students. It's not your fault, but you haven't lived long enough to get a lot of experience. And one of my favorite scriptures in Proverbs is chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. And Solomon's writing this. Here's what he says. At the window of my house, I looked down through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, that would be you. I noticed among the youth, that would be you, a man, young man, lacking sense. Now... Notice he chose a boy, by the way. Girls, I think you generally have more sense than us guys, young guys, okay? But, but you know, it's, when we're like 16, we go like crazy, okay? So there's this youth there. He lacks experience. And not only that, he doesn't have a whole lot of sense. And the Bible says in verse 8, crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight in the evening... And in the dark of the night. Now, it's like he's dwelling there. Do you see that progression? Twilight, evening, dark of the night. So here's this young person, doesn't have any experience. And this guy, being a boy, 16, 15 years old, doesn't have a whole lot of sense at this time in his life. And he goes where trouble is. Maybe, you know, you've been to invite to a party. You ought not to go to. And you're trying to decide, should I go? And you choose to go. And you stay longer than you should stay. And trouble comes. Anybody ever done that before? Well, this is the story here. At twilight, evening, and dark. And watch. A woman came to meet him dressed like a prostitute. That's just trouble, okay? Go beyond the prostitute part. That's just trouble. Having, having a hidden agenda. Now, students, what you got to know is this. You haven't gone through enough of life yet to get a whole lot of experience. Okay? Mom and dad have. If they were honest enough to tell you they've got some mistakes in their lives, that causes them to blush. Learn from their mistakes. And parents, come on. I know. Who am I to tell my kid when I've done the same thing? A teacher. I mean, when I go out there and if I have attention around a certain stop sign and a guy almost gets killed at that stop sign, he goes, be careful at that stop sign, I would be wise to listen. You can listen. You can be honest with your kids. There's, there's a couple of things in parenting that you need to know. Two powerful things. Consistency and authenticity. 
I was bad at one, pretty good at another. I never was consistent. That blonde-haired kid could come in. She's grounded for like nine years. She comes with those big blue eyes, you know, and Dad, I really want to go. Come on, Dad. And the mercy genes kick in, Dad. And I bet seven out of ten times, grounding was canceled. Okay, go ahead and go. And that, that was nice mercy, but the problem is I didn't help her learn the lessons that we're trying to learn. You know? And, and authenticity, they'll tell you. Becca will here right here today and tell you. I did some really incredibly stupid father things. I'm certain that if you could see the emotional scars on them, you'd see emotional scars. But they also would tell you this, that I was very frequently going face to face and I'm saying, I was really wrong. Would you please forgive me? That's authenticity. Be one. Parents, you will never stand taller when you can stand before your kid and say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? One of the favorite Taylor stories is that I wasn't around yet. The three older brothers were. And dad, um, they came home and someone cut the water hoses. Yeah. Cut the water hoses on the washing machine. So dad calls the three boys in there. Which one of you boys cut, cut the hoses? We didn't do it, dad. We didn't do it, dad. We didn't do it, dad. So if I said this, okay, I'm going to beat all three of you. And if we understand, we understand, it was beating. <laughs> he got the belt out and he whooped him like fire. Daddy found out about it. Or daddy found out who did it. It was the neighbor. He was mad at my father. And my father said these words. You needed it anyway. We laugh, but it wasn't funny. My dad could not utter the words, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Daddy, Mama, you'll stand tallest in your kids' eyes when you can be authentic and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All right? So we know that. So, so kids, students, okay, your mom and dad's got some good life experiences. Would you just hear them out? Just hear them out. It may save you some grief later on. Then we get to the last part, students, that you're going to like the most. And it's verse 4. And it's where Paul talks to the dads. I thought it was interesting to talk to the dads. Now, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't stir up anger. Don't, don't exasperate your children. Okay? Don't frustrate your children. Now, you can interpret that. I'm going to leave the interpretation of that up to you. Okay? A lot of the frustration in my life to my kids, they'll tell you, probably was the inconsistency. They probably didn't know which dad was going to show up. One time dad was merciful. One time, no, you can't do that. And then, so they didn't know. I'm sure that was, that was very frustrating to them as children. So I'll let you define what it means to don't stir up anger, don't exasperate, don't frustrate your children. But I want to tell you the best way not to do that. Now looking back, I'm now almost 60 years old. I've got three kids raised, 37 years of marriage. Okay? So that's where I'm coming from. Now, this is when we go to that scripture I read, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Daddies, moms too, here's how you don't frustrate your children. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Check. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Check. Love Him with all your soul. Check. And with all your strength. Check. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Check. The best way not to exasperate, to frustrate your children is to mimic your Heavenly Father. To copy your Heavenly Father. That's how you do it. 
God, I may not understand God. In fact, let me just be honest with you as your pastor, I don't understand God. I don't understand Calvary. I don't understand why he didn't say, okay, Adam and Eve, you're out. We'll try again. Why he did the grace thing, I really don't know. I don't understand. But one thing I know about this. My Heavenly Father is never frustrated with me. And I wrestle with this because I say, I know me. How could he not be frustrated? Because his love never runs out on me. Because of his wonderful grace. God never gets exasperated with me. Because his love never runs out on me. And his grace is sufficient. So, so dad, mom... The best thing you can do, the, the one thing you can do to really be a mega parent, to be on the road to being a mega parent, is to mimic your Heavenly Father. Let, understand that, that, that the Lord is God, and he, you need to love Him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Okay, And put these words in your heart, authenticity. Let them see your faith lived out. It frustrates your kids when they see you at church doing one thing, and you're another way at home. It frustrates them when you say, you shouldn't do this, and they see you doing it. And I, boy, we could spend some time there, and I'm not going to, because you don't need that kind of lecture today. But what you need to say, and again, you don't have to be perfect to your kids, but you've got to be authentic. You've got to. Spiritually, you've got to be an authentic Christian. When you mess up, you tell them you messed up. Let them, let them see you praying, telling God you're sorry. Let them see you on your, in prayer going, God, I messed up. I know I did. Let them see those kind of things. It adds authenticity to your faith. And that is a stopper of frustration and exasperation for your kids. So that's how you do that. That's how you do that. But then he says this. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, now Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. You know, I heard Danny Aiken say this. I knew it a long time ago. And I teach it to you guys. I try to. Because this one verse, um, Proverbs 22, 6, is one verse... That, that destroys a lot of parents. Okay? Because here's what's happening. The verse says this. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We claim that as a promise. And our, current, our kids turn 15, 16, or 17. They get involved in drugs and alcohol or other things, and their lives turn out to be a disaster. And what do we do? Where did I fail? I must not have been authentic. Guilt. So many parents built... Have so much guilt because of this verse. It's not a promise. It's a principle. In fact, the hugest, the hugest, gosh, sorry, Becca. The largest part, <laughs> she's an English teacher. The largest part of the book of Proverbs are principles, not promises. Written by Solomon. God's word, yes. God's word, yes. But they're principles. And the principle is, if you'll, if you'll pour Jesus into a child in their life, then the chances are, if you don't, I hope that's not an offensive word, chances are, he will grow up and follow God. You increase his chances of being a God follower. That is the principle of 22.6. Train up a child. Um, mold a child. Have you ever seen a tree that's growing wrong when it's young? When it's young? When it's young? I wouldn't try this with, a, with an 18-inch um, oak tree. But when a tree is young and it's growing crooked... You drive four stakes into the ground, you straighten it up, and you tie ropes to that, and you train the tree to go straight. Train up a child. And the child, when the child, when the child, when the child, when the child is young, train him and mold him, shape him. Now, there's a very practical way I want to show something to you. 
And again, this is pure Andy Stanley. Um, our, our, our Sunday school class did a series called Future Family. And by the way, if you're a teacher and you have um, students, or you, I'm sorry, you have students in your class that have kids, I would teach this in Sunday school. It's like five or six parts. It's a very, very good series. But they introduced something they picked up from another guy that really would help you. If you can find that slide, Ronnie, with the four things. This is the first one. He said, he said when, you're, when your children um, are your children and you're raising them, there are, four, there are four areas. There's four ages. You have discipline. You have coaching, uh, training, coaching, and friendship. Okay? Now, go back to the discipline. And again, I'm going to let you flesh this out, okay? I, I, I'm not going to take time to do it today. In fact, we're almost out of time. Between the ages of one and five, okay, that is the most profitable time for discipline. It's when a child, Judy, what is it, what's the number? 60 or 70% of a child's personality is formed by the time they're four years old. This is when that tree is most likely to be formed and shaped, okay? And it's the most time when your child is open to discipline. And again, I'm going to let you figure out what discipline is. You know, when, frankly... You know, when I was growing up, that's another Becca story. You know, they did something really wrong, and so they put on multiple diapers. They're going to get a spanking. So Rebecca, the ringleader, tells Jennifer, her little sister, let's get ready. So they put on like three diapers. Okay? I think they had training pants with diapers underneath. Okay? Huh? Toilet paper. Okay? And so Jennifer gets first. Okay? And so she goes, who did the spanking? Me or you? Oh, it's me. Gosh. The bad guy. So I discovered the toilet paper. I said, aha! <laughs> Trying to cheat the system, huh? And so I pulled the toilet paper and gave her an extra swat or two. Rebecca's in there ripping stuff out of her diaper. <laughs> Train up a child. I don't know if it's going to be spanking. I don't know if it's timeout. I don't know if it's the corner thing. You figure that out. But be authentic and be consistent in your discipline when they're ages 1 to 5. And then as they get a little bit older, okay, you're going to move into the training period. Now, they're old enough to start understanding more instructions, more consequences, and probably the discipline will change a little bit in this time. In fact, again, Rebecca probably was like 11 years old or 10 years old when we stopped spanking and using other methods of discipline. Okay? So, so this training time, just like it implies, there's more relationship, there's more communication, and there's more understanding. But then you move to the coaching time. And this is when they're like uh, 12 to 18 years old. Okay? And this is when you're coaching them in life. You're giving them solid biblical advice. Okay? And then finally you have friendship at 18 plus. And I'm going to tell you this. I live long enough. I can say I'm friends with my, with my children and it's cool. I had the privilege of serving with Rebecca on site, in the mission site, and I watched her. She's a professional teacher. I watched her teach this week, and I was so proud how she got on everybody's level, the enthusiasm, and the passion she taught. And I told her, I've ever told her five times, Rebecca, I'm so proud of you. You are a good, good teacher. I am her friend. You reach that. Now, let me give you a couple of warnings. And by the way, if you want these, you'll have these at the welcome counter if you didn't get them written down. Uh, and then if you want to see the message, go to futurefamily.org. And I think it's the fifth, fifth sermon. Okay? Now, now let, let me give you this. Two big warnings. If you do not discipline your children, for whatever reason, in ages 1 to 5, and you don't do it in 5 to 12, when they turn teenagers, if you try to discipline them, Katie, bar the door. You're going to be in big trouble. It is not going to work. That's why it's important when they are young, discipline them. Because if you try to do it when they're 15, you're going to be in trouble. All right? The second thing is this. You cannot be 
a buddy to your middle schooler. Now, please understand. Should you be? Should there be some relationship there? Absolutely. But still, in that age of five to twelve, your child needs boundaries. There'll be a time you can be their friend, but if you try to be their buddy friend, it ain't gonna work because they still need those boundaries. They need those instruction. So train up a child. Try those four things. Train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, the principle is they will not depart from it. So I hope this has been helpful to you. And he goes on and says this, by the way, um, the last part. Look what it says here. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Listen, this is so cool. The more real your faith is, the more consistent your faith is, the more authentic your faith is, is the greater chance of your child having that kind of faith. Parents, here's a challenge for you. Your responsibility, your job, is to give them a reason to follow Jesus. Give them a reason to follow Jesus. Let whatever it is in your life be so real, okay? Jesus be so real, they say, I've seen my mama, I've seen my daddy, I want that. And may I say this, give them a reason to want to come to church. Let them, when you're worshiping and they're standing next to you or they can see you, worship with authenticity. When, when, when you are, I'm going to get in trouble, I just know I am. You know, nothing hurts. You know, your kid turns 15 and goes, I don't want to go to church. Well, there's either one or two problems. You know, either whatever they see in your faith, your life, didn't match up and they go, it's fake, it's fraud. Okay? Or that inconsistency. You know, one minute you say, we're going to church. Next minute you say, we're going to play golf. One week we're going to church. No, then we're going to the lake. You've got to figure out what you're trying to teach your child what's important for Sunday. you just got to figure it out. But I'm telling you this, whatever it is, be consistent because you're confusing your child with mixed up priorities. If church is important, then make church is important. Give them a reason to want to go. So students... If you know Christ, live out that faith, okay? Live out that faith. Be real in your faith, enough to obey, action, honor, attitude. Live it out. Live it out. That's your way, when Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another, that is your way of submitting to your mom and your dad. And parents, our job is to be authentic and consistent, authentic and consistent in our faith. And when those two are lived out before kids, when they are old, most likely, praise God, they will not depart from it. Now, real quick, is it too late? You know, students, you may say, I have so messed up my relationship with my parents, no matter what I say. Don't believe it. You go and tell them, Mom, Dad, I know that I've not lived it like I should. I'm really sorry I've shown you disrespect. You're going to find an incredible reception when you get there. And Mom and Dad... If you messed up, it's not too late. That tree may be bent pretty hard, but start today. Choose today. Challenge today is to live authentically and consistently your faith. And you know what? With God, all things are possible. You believe that today? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you very much for the privilege that's mine um, to share your word. 
I pray, Father, we've done that clearly and most importantly, accurately. Father, I thank you that you've taught us about submission over the last few weeks. I still pray for the wives, Father, to do it, their submission by respecting their husbands because of you. May we husbands learn to love our wives and show our submission that way because of you. And God, I may be kind of old now, but I really remember how I resisted my mom and dad's authority. And God, I know it's hard. It's hard for these students today, these children. So God, I'm going to ask you, um, so many of them know, know you as Savior, Jesus. If nothing else rings home, let it be. They're doing it because of you. Not because their mom and dad are worthy of it. Not because your mom and dad's perfect. But because you are. Because you are. So we pray that you'll speak their hearts. And Father, perhaps there's a friend here today who's never experienced that amazing grace. We talked a lot about being a Christ follower. And I believe you call people to yourself. And uh, Father, during this time of decision, if you've spoken to someone about their relationship with you, Father, give them the courage to even stand up and they don't understand why. And come down and take Brent by the hand and say, hey, I want to know more about the God who teaches this kind of stuff. I, I, I want to know about the God who elevated women and children out of the property stage into being people. I want to know that kind of God. And we love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.